The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering from Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? If you're putting a reputation above a child's well-being, because I was a minor at the time, I went in as a minor, um, then something is, is very, very off, and I have to stand as my own advocate for once. Terrified out of my mind, but like something deep within was like, look, if you don't, if you don't correct this while your brain is developing at this stage, like going to be it's just going to increase the the length of time perhaps that you get to undo certain patterns and any time is possible if you're a kid like me who grew up in the 1990s and early 2000s then you probably know who my next guest is Allison Stoner was the cute little girl from the Missy Elliott work it video She then went on to do sitcoms on the Disney channel like Sweet Life of Zack and Cody and eventually made it onto the big screen in the movie Cheaper by the Dozen. What we saw on the surface is exactly that, what we saw on the surface. Underneath, Allison was dealing with lots of societal pressure and that eventually led to disordered eating and other various addictions for which she has now been in recovery from for many years. It was so nice when I stumbled across Allison's various social media channels and saw the way that she had transformed her life and taken the challenges that she's faced and turned them into something really positive. In this episode, we are diving into topics like transactional love. We're talking about eating disorders. We're talking about how to regulate our trauma response. We're talking about getting on the path towards self-actualization, our personal experiences of healing our bodies from trauma, and learning how to manage anxiety and depression. We're also talking about the importance of compensating content creators. We're in this digital era now, and Allison made a choice to step away from the spotlight and traditional media and to begin to start working on her own social channels and using tools like YouTube to grow an audience to create the content that she is really passionate about. As a content creator, I think that there's a big assumption that we're just rolling in the dough, making a ton of money. And the truth is that for the vast majority of us, we're really not. You know, it's about believing and trusting in the value that we are providing for our audiences and knowing our inner worth and what we're worthy of being compensated for. So we have lots of interesting conversations in this podcast episode. I know that you guys are going to love it. So with that, here is Allison Stoner. What was the messaging that you, maybe this is too forward, that you received 
in your home growing up that like maybe limited you from achieving that self-actualization in this person that you are today? Absolutely. Happy to go as deep (laughs) as you would like to dig. I prefer depth over shallow waters. Um, And I think that actually speaks to having been more of a a glass case figurine on a shelf for so long. So I much appreciate any opportunity to, you know, go under the skin. Um, And for me growing up, there were a lot, just as for, for everyone, a lot of patterns that showed up, not just in my family world, but also in the professional settings I was in. One of the main habits that I learned at a young age, having the process of auditioning over and over for strangers is how can I win your approval as quickly as possible and have it lead to me being not only hired, paid, but able to provide for my family. So there was so much survival caught up in the act, the literal act and performance. And so I spent most of my childhood becoming an expert performer, not just on camera, but off camera as well. In school, I was an overachiever only because I knew if I'm already going to be othered as you know, the girl on TV, I need to go above and beyond so I can be above reproach. I can be above criticism. I also became just hyper chameleonic. You could put me in any setting with anyone from anywhere and I could adapt as though I was a local. You know, other than not being able to actually speak different languages, I could absorb your mannerisms and mimic you back to yourself giving you the sense that I know who you are, I see you, I understand. And so the the bright side of that is this hyper empathy, right? Like I'm able to portray characters without judging them. They've gone through X number of things. They've chosen X number of behaviors that we may look and scorn and frown upon. But in reality, the shadow side of that is blurring the lines of where do I, Allison, start and where do I, Allison, end? Where, where are my boundaries of self and, you know, deep enmeshment, deep codependence uh, with, within my family unit? Um, there was addiction in my household and uh, many kinds of addiction and abuse in my household growing up. And so I saw um, my response to that, which was to freeze, um, to kind of be paralyzed in wanting to help um, carry the, the burden and the cost of, of uh, people who were older than me and being rapidly adultified, having a sense of duty and responsibility as a, a very young, young person who's still trying to understand how the world works. And then translating that, transferring it immediately over to set where again, I'm carrying a script. I have to show up at a time and you know, not only hit my mark, but carry a storyline that's supposed to make people feel a certain way. And, and so it was just a lot of pressure. And the way I describe it to people often is oh, my peers and I on camera, many of them chose paths of coping that were easy to pick on um, because we as our current society, love to be able to look at someone with an addiction, with uh, an illness that we can diagnose 
and continue to, you know, alienate them and, and say, that's you, but I'll never be that bad. Um, and to kind of compare and, and, and make themselves feel better, um, even though really you're just denying a very real part of yourself as well. But in reality, I had just as many coping mechanisms. I consider myself even more of a shadow player because instead of letting myself go out and party, I chose the societally acceptable vices. Like, how can I be the best goody two-shoes so everybody likes me and and, in every business conference and every speaking engagement? I'm going to be you know, perfectionism is like an understatement. Yeah. I was going to say the drug of approval and people just really don't understand how that can become so intoxicating. Quick break from today's episode to talk to you guys about one of my favorite health hacks, and that is Chaga. Chaga from Four Sigmatic. Chaga is like your body's bodyguard. Anytime that I'm feeling a little bit low in energy or like I might be coming down with something, I start Chaga right away. The compounds and antioxidant properties in Chaga play a huge role in supporting our immune system and maintaining its function. I recommend starting your day with the king of all mushrooms because with everything that you've got going on, there's no time time for a timeout. So if you're thinking, Alexis, I don't really want to start my day with mushrooms. Well, I didn't either. And that's where Four Sigmatic's mushroom coffee comes in. And it also has lion's mane, the health benefits of lion's mane. It's like the brain's best friend. It supports focus, productivity, and creativity during my crazy day. I love Four Sigmatic as a company. All of their products are vegan, gluten-free, and every single batch is tested in a third-party lab for heavy metals, allergens, bad bacteria, yeast, molds, and pesticides to ensure their purity and safety. So you know you're getting the highest quality mushrooms possible. And of course, we have a special offer for the Recovering From Reality podcast audience. Receive 15% off your Four Sigmatic order. Just go to foursigmatic.com forward slash reality or enter code reality at checkout. That's four, F-O-U-R, Sigmatic, S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash reality to receive 15% off your order. I'm Claire Mazer. And I'm Erica Cerullo. And we are the hosts of A Thing or Two with Claire and Erica, a weekly podcast all about discovery and enthusiasm. Well, that's how we describe it, but someone else described it even better, I think as a unique mix of urgent discussions of non-urgent things and thoughtful conversations of important and otherwise ignored things. If you want to check it out and see what it's all about, check back every Monday where we drop new episodes. I think you'll like it. It's a great Monday morning ritual. A thing or two with Claire and Erica. Mm -hmm. I want to pause for one second because one thing that came to mind, I talk a lot about in early childhood, how we develop subconscious belief systems and programming as a result of our environment, the things that we witness hear and experience as children. And the very first part of your story that you were talking about, to me, it sounds like the corresponding belief system to having to please everybody is that um, love is conditional. Absolutely. That I'm only seen or I only experience love. And that's something that I so relate to in my household too. If I was a good girl who didn't cause disruption or for, in my experience, performed sexual acts mm-hmm. um, and whatever it might be, 
in order to experience love. And it wasn't until my mid to late twenties when I realized that the relationship that I'm in now is the first experience I've ever had where I've experienced unconditional love. That's yes. a church when you realize it's been this many years and I've never experienced that in my life, which is something that every single human being deserves. Mm-hmm. And I think a, a few points. So when love is transactional, um, that's not really the environment that that makes available true vulnerability and true intimacy. And so there was a learned um, emotional distance. There was a learned even helplessness in knowing I'm going to perform these acts for you, but I cannot rely on you to reciprocate or to care for me or to carry some of my burden the way I am yours. And so I learned this self-reliance that was just astronomical. You could, again, throw me anywhere and I would find a way to survive because I only ever depended on myself. But how that later translated was trying to build teams in entertainment, knowing, you know, it takes a pack of wolves to navigate entertainment. And here I was trying to fend for myself. Well, I would only ever be able to play so small, um, comparatively speaking. So I needed to learn how to trust, how to delegate, how to rely on someone else and and believe in my worth enough to say, even if I do nothing today, my team's still going to show up and carry us to the finish line. And those are deeply embedded skill sets that and, and beliefs that I've been undoing for five to seven plus years now um, and learning how to actually foster real vulnerability and, and recognizing my own patterns then of once I'm fully seen, especially in a state where I feel fragile or incompetent, my response is, of course, to hide away and shame. I don't want you to see this. I only want you to know the side of me who can show up and get the job done. And so to be able to have, you know, partners have um, a, a few very key people in my life, because my circle is very small, especially the, the innermost circle, to be able to fully see me, fully accept and embrace me, it, it was alarming. It startled me. I didn't know what to do, right? And I think that's like, that's how grace works too, where it, just like the, the idea of grace where you're like, this is... I, I don't know why you're being so kind and generous to me. And someone can just be like, because I so get it. Like you make so much sense. I already forgot the, the second half of that, but you know, just, just the idea of how people, how people, Oh, that that's where it was going with all of these experiences. As you know, you store them in your body memory. And that's something I've been studying quite a bit. And, and yes, it makes sense that I would be drawn to it as both a dancer and performer, as well as, um, you know, an an advocate for overall health and well-being, because we tend to, at least in the West, think of mindfulness and meditation and mental health from the neck up. And we disengage from all of the memories and experiences stored in our cells. And those are feedback loops that are going to continue to repeat um, until you're able to observe them and to recognize them and then give yourself new opportunities to adjust that pattern. There are parts of me that still go into fight or flight and I have to very gently remind myself there is no bear trying to attack you right now. This is understandable, but it's not necessary. And I have to learn how to, how to regulate my system. Otherwise, I'll stay you know, playing in the small 
the, the smaller version of who I can be because it'll be too intimidating to overcome that level of discomfort. So learning how to build your tolerance, your sense of being resilient in an emotional way for me has been as difficult as it was easy for me to be logical and to, you know, just work, 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 work. So I was definitely, you know, left brain dominant and right brain deficient. Um, but now I feel like, you know, through therapy, through self-work, through mentorship, all, all kinds of things, it's, it's slowly becoming more and more integrated. And the fruit of a life around wholeness is just so purely different in the way that you're able to love others, care for yourself, and, and actually activate, like you said, self-actualize and contribute to the world because you don't have to be so absorbed in just trying to, to get by. Um, yeah. There's freedom. There's freedom to, to serve other people. Yeah. We're so programmed as a society, and I think about the generation after us who grew up in this post-9-11 society, and we've been at war their entire lives, and now here we are at coronavirus, and I was listening to Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders together yesterday having a conversation about how many millennials have struggled after the 2008 crash, and then how many Gen, is it Gen Z? Yes right? One of the letters. The one below us um, is going to struggle because of this one moving forward because of how much it's going to take to rebuild the economy. And we're all operating in this state of fight or flight, which does not allow for spaciousness, which spaciousness is the key to peace. And you were talking about how it's stored in the body. And we often talk about the neck up, but as a sexual abuse survivor, I know in my heart of all hearts that, um, you know, in my sacral chakra area, I've had to do so much work to heal my body from my sexual trauma. And it's interesting because I found the key is a mixture of the two things. First, I have to get out of that limbic system. If people can imagine that, you know, it's the reptilian brain, the back of their neck. And I've talked about this on the podcast before to the top of their heads that part of the brain develops first because it's our instincts, it's our survival. The prefrontal cortex, we have to learn how to access that to bring the adult into the room and to make the decisions to support ourselves. So it was kind of like I needed to access that prefrontal cortex to then allow my body to relax enough to be open to healing the other parts of it. And so when we talk about this holistic approach, it's so much more than mind, body, and spirit. It's learning how to connect all of these things and the different parts of the body and the different organs of the body and really recalibrating our autonomic and our central nervous systems to allow for that healing to take place. And it is so possible. And I know so many of my um, listeners are people who are on this path or who are interested in this path. Um, and I just want for everybody to know that it is it just, it is so possible. It just takes time oh, and totally. it's almost time and patience and grace. Like you had said, grace yes. with yourself and with others <laughs> and, and finding oh. a community and, and of people who are 
also on this path who are going to have, and I always say empathy, not compassion. I always think of compassion as like, oh, you poor thing. And empathy, as Brene Brown says, is this like, I connect with you and I understand this, you know, deep, dark night of the soul plunge you're taking here to get to the point of freedom and healing. What if I told you that you could get high quality organic and non-GMO groceries delivered to your front door for a lot less than you're paying right now and help out families in need. That's what I'm doing since I discovered Thrive Market. As a proud Thrive Market member, I get the products that I love and my paid membership provides a free one for someone in need, like a low-income family, teacher, veteran, or first responder. Thrive Market tailors to over 70 different diets like paleo, keto, plant-based, and they value delivering the highest quality organic and non-GMO food straight to your door. They also offer clean beauty and bath products, pet staples, and non-toxic cleaning products, plus ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, and more. As a busy mom of two kids and a working woman, I love nothing more than skipping going to the grocery store, opening an app on my phone, and having my delivery come to my house, opening a box, and putting my food away. There is nothing easier. And as a member, I'm saving 20 to 50% off traditional retail prices and their carbon neutral shipping is free on orders over $49. Not only do I feel great about getting a deal on my favorite clean organic products, but I also feel great about helping to support families who need it most. In addition to membership matching, Thrive Market is matching donations to their COVID-19 relief fund dollar for dollar. Thrive Market is working 24-7 to make sure that members are getting their groceries delivered as fast as possible. You can learn more about their commitment to their customers and membership matching on their website. Try Thrive Market and become a member risk-free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash reality. Join today and you'll get up to $20 in shopping credit towards your first order. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, market.com slash reality to start your risk-free membership and to get up to $20 towards your first order. Thrivemarket.com slash reality. If you do it once, you can do it again and again and again, just like with the other habits. If you could do them once, you were able to repeat them. And I had to remember for a long time that, you know, I went into to rehab for my eating disorders and I ad- admitted myself. It was actually um, kind of warned against by my core team and family because they were concerned about the negative publicity of it. And for me, I was like, if you're putting, <laughs> if you're putting a reputation above a child's well-being, because I was a minor at the time I went in as a minor, um, then something is, is very, very off. And I have to stand as my own advocate for once, terrified out of my mind, but like something deep within was like, look, if you don't, if you don't correct this while your brain is developing at this stage, like it's going to be, it's just going to increase the, the length of time, perhaps, that you get to undo certain patterns. And any time is possible. I have plenty of friends who have entered recovery in their 70s, in their 80s. You know, you, you meet people whose stories are, are from, from every walk of life. And if you keep liberation at the heart of it, at the end um, opportunity, then I think it really does continue to draw you forward. Instead of feeling like you have to be pushed from behind, you begin to be able to visualize 
that higher version of yourself who's simply free and whole. And that draws you forward like a magnet. Um, And it does support you in the moments when you feel very alone, even in a crowded room of people trying to go about the same process. But what I would speak with, you know, my assigned therapist in in rehab about is that I had done this one move, this one way with food, um, let's say 3000 times. So of course, the first time I do it any other way, it's going to feel clumsy, awkward. Uh, Actually, it's even going to feel wrong. It's going to feel like a a fracture in my psychological schema. Like, I don't do things this way. This is how we always do them. And so I'm going to have to practice that several times. And, and, And some people hearing this who are in recovery might think, oh no, I've got to choose the quote unquote right thing 3000 times to neutralize it. And I would encourage you to recognize that as you continue to develop, you're able to learn things in in compound ways. So you might have to, you might have done things one way in your addiction 3000 times, but as you choose to go another direction the first time, even by the second and the third and the fourth, those grooves in your brain are so deep because there's so much emotional value um, contributing to your healing and your drive to be whole that you really are able to make exponential strides in recovery um, where you don't have to think about, oh no, it's tit for tat. It's like, you know, I've got to do this this many times before I'm fixed. And that's really not the... You know, not the word that I, I ever used for myself either, because it was even with in terms of anxiety and depression, it was learning to manage it, to become stronger and have so many tools to choose from. So I never felt, you know, I never felt that kind of overwhelm where I knew, you know, where, where I, I spiraled into a state of, oh, no, what's going to happen? It's like through therapy and through all of these different tool building um, exercises I was able to be like, okay, at any given time, I'm going to be able to get through this, um, whether I'm whether I'm alone or I'm able to lean on someone. And that kind of confidence, wow! Like I grew up being self reliant, but not necessarily confident. Um, and there really is a different paradigm shift when you're operating from fear versus when you're operating from a sense of of worthiness and trust and understanding and appreciating your value. And something that I speak a lot on is being an ally in your own transformation, you know, and it goes back to some of the basic concepts of what, what's, what are your inner critics versus your inner ally, the different voices that are speaking to you all day long. And there's a brain coach, Jim Quick, and he presented this idea to me and it changed my life. He, he brought to the surface the fact that at all times during every day, we're asking questions underneath, you know, how are you? We have questions underneath questions underneath questions. And at the core, we're probably asking one or two dominant questions every day that relate to our earliest programming, such as, you know, will they like me or how can I make you like me? And that might be under me saying, hey, can I do the dishes for you? Um, which seems harmless, but underneath, what are your dominant questions? And once you identify what those drivers have been for me with my eating disorder, a lot of it had to do with admiration because I associated the admiration I received in entertainment as equaling my ticket to, you know, my livelihood. I could 
I can afford food if I get your admiration. I can protect my family if I get your admiration. I can be liked and loved if I get your admiration. So admiration and fear really drove my dominant questions. And after healing, I was able to then go, oh, okay, I can adjust this question consciously and start asking new questions that will lead to different decisions. So everyone listening, you know, and watching, I encourage you to, to ask yourself, what do you think your dominant question is that's been driving um, your life or this chapter, even if we're focusing specifically on pandemic and, and how you're coping? Um, but I'm sure you've mentioned your audience understands that in moments of crisis, in moments of these sort of emergency uh, protocols for everyone, we will absolutely uh, cling to our earliest kinds of responses to situations. You may notice different things coming up that you're like, oh, wow, I haven't seen this old friend in a long time. I haven't had that urge. I haven't had that idea pop up. But instead of judging it, it really does take that level of knowingness of like, of course, your brain's just trying to do what it does, but you don't have to over-identify with those thoughts. And, you know, you can still make the decision that carries you toward the, the human you're designed to be in your optimal state. Yeah, I was doing an IG live the other day and everyone was like, I'm so scared. I'm so scared. I'm so scared. I'm so scared. And why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? And my response is, you know, we don't know why. And as humans, we'll always want to know the why. It's like, why is this happening to me? Because we always personalize it. And my answer was, we don't know. But I would encourage you to begin to love the part of you that wants to know why. Just love the part of you who so desperately wants to know why, because that part is like the scaredest little child inside of you who is so desperate for an answer to make this all okay. And the truth is, it's not okay. It's not okay. It's just not. And so instead of trying to come up with some answer logically that will put a bandaid over this situation, sometimes it's okay to just send love to that scared part of you that really wants to know why that happened, why this is all happening. And when we think of fear, I think it's easy to imagine fear as this very dominant, large, ominous force that fills the room and like sucks the air out of the room and almost creates a fog. You can't see you know, the door handle right in front of you. When really fear, the concept of fear, if you personify fear as, as a figure you can recognize, fear is afraid of itself. It's not a big presence. It's a small, tiny little being who's tucked in the corner hugging their knees with their hair covering their eyes and or whoever you know the figure is for you in your mind and they're like you said so fragile and learning how to communicate understanding that's the power dynamic fear is not this uh, you know forceful person trying to 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 beat you down in fact you actually have the upper hand and get to decide whether you want to try and silence fear and push it away or open up a conversation and say, Hey, 
you know, thank you for trying to show up for me in the way that you know how. Um, can you help me understand what you're trying to protect me from, what you need right now? How can we separate your thoughts from my thoughts so I can really get to know who I am in this situation outside of fear so that I can better understand how fear is you know, affecting my thought process and my decisions. And when, when I, I call it the way to face fear is to give fear a face. Um, and when you, when you create that imagery um, in whatever way feels manageable and, and safe and, and comfortable for your capacity, um, you're really able to see fear in a new light. And, and like you said, bring love to that part of yourself and that changed a lot for me, even in this time, you know, I'm going, I'm going inward quite a bit and not just because I'm trying to, you know, master this human optimization thing. That's my old paradigm of like, let's just achieve and become the most in shape person while we're in quarantine. That's totally fine. Um, that's just, it doesn't match my long-term value of my why is different. My dominant question is different. Um, now I'm training and learning and whatever, because I'm thinking in terms of, of activism, of keeping myself accountable, um, because I have an incredible amount of privilege. And I know that word gets thrown around a lot and I'm not just referring to racial or economic, I'm, or my career, I'm talking like levels on levels on levels of the fact that I've been through therapy and have tools to cope through this time, the fact that I'm I'm more introverted anyway and have been actually needing for my own stability a chance to be inside and not on a set. But instead of just doing this as like, okay, I'm just healing because now I get to go you know, live my life how I want, which again, full permission to do that if that's what someone chooses. I'm thinking, how can I really stabilize so that you know I am that much more grounded to be able to observe the needs of others and help where I can and even if that's in this conversation or many organizations that my team and I are, are working with very closely that provide, you know, meals for uh, young students and families who don't have access to resources or going even further and like really deconstructing the systems that exist in our society that allow such inequality and inequity to, to persist in ways that are so much more detrimental to certain populations compared to the way I'm being affected by COVID. So, you know, there are just so many layers to why one might want to go through the healing process. And, you know, I just, I always invite people to, to see the bigger picture in ways that once you have stabilized and found your core, how can you extend that hand to the next person? And I think that's kind of a natural progression too. It's like, once you taste freedom, once you experience liberation, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, I'm like, I just want to, oh my gosh, I'm like, please, how can I show you what's possible? <laughs> I know it's, it's interesting because, so when I went into treatment nine years ago, I made a conscious decision that I was not going to return to the media space at all because my heroin addiction was so bad and I had seen people before me who had done that and then harmed, gotten harmed or harmed themselves as a result. Mm -hmm. And so I went away and I walked away and, um, 
it was literally just a couple of years ago where I just started feeling so unfulfilled in my life. And I have an incredible life. My husband and I own a mental health and drug addiction treatment center. I live a very fulfilled life and a, a life of service and I have two young children. And, um, but I was like, there's more here. Like people need to see more people who can and do recovered where it's accessible, you know, here. Okay. About the celebrity who's sober or the celebrity who's overcome postpartum depression or whatever. And like an in touch weekly, but, um, this was really born out of this calling. I felt to have conversations with different people about Mm -hmm. their experiences Because like you said, once you get it, once it clicks, once you drop the shame, once you start moving into your authentic self, once you start, it's like the bug bites you and you're like, I have to do this. Um, Which leads me to my next question, because I definitely want to talk about the projects that you're working on now. And I think it's really interesting in this space where you can now be a creator on your own terms. And I'm just so grateful for podcasts and for YouTube and for even things place this quibby thing now where you can just go and pitch these great like this content you know that inspires people and it's such a great thing so let's talk about alchemy first for a minute how it was born and I'm sure it came out of this that inspired thought right Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Alchemy is a a short form series I started on my YouTube channel. um, And I also have my podcast, Simplexity, on there. And really, because I had such a, and and you will understand, once you have a certain image in the public eye, um, it can be hard to break from that mold. Um, Even if you yourself have transformed, Oftentimes people like to keep you in whatever container they first met you in. And that's not just entertainment. That's everyday life with our family and friends. We tend to speak to each other about who we were yesterday instead of speaking to the future optimal version of whoever we're in front of. And so with my past kind of tracking behind me at all times, talk about literal inner child healing work that needs to be done. I found that in my career, I always left my intellectual side, my contemplative side to uh, private scenarios. I didn't bring that forward in the content I was making because people wanted me to dance. They wanted me to smile and make them laugh. And really the, the true spine of who I am, it all rests on recovery, on neuroscience, on studying psychoneuroendoimmunology, on um, somatic therapy, uh, the expressive arts, far more complex concepts than what people often heard me talk about uh, in, in interviews. And so I reached a point where a part of empowering myself to be able to fulfill my mission meant taking the risk to tell the stories that I believe are really valuable, even if they're not um, clickbait friendly, even if they're not a trending topic. And so I you know, I thought about the word alchemy because my name, Allison, and my family growing up called me Al. So I was looking at some wordplay there, but really that word, you know, encompasses this idea of transitioning, this transformation from one state to another, this finding a way to make all of the elements 
align in your life um, and in your being. And so I, I started writing these short form episodes where I would share a framework that I had learned or adopted from mentors that I had spent time applying and researching, not just haphazard, you know, uh oh, it's school season, so I'm supposed to make a video about what you can do to go back to school. Like, I very much am deeply intentional um, because I also know how sensitive I was when I was searching for helpful materials. When I needed resources, I didn't want to read another article that just said three easy ways to get from A to B. It was like, no, my my addiction is is far more complex than than this. I literally tried to get on TikTok, right? So I created this online course because the podcast is free content. My book, I release it for free every couple of months. So just like everybody has access. And I created this course that's only $39 a month. That's basically like it's a whole life reset. It's like all of my life's work. Right. And so I'm trying to make it as accessible as possible to people. And so I did, you know, I, I did a three part series on TikTok about subconscious belief systems, how they develop and why, you know, law of attraction. And I'm very spiritual is all over there. And I've been using that my whole life, but why law of attraction isn't working because as much as you say this affirmation, like I love myself and I deem myself worthy of receiving a loving partner. If your core belief system is I'm a piece of shit who <laughs> is not worthy of love and I'm unlovable, it's never going to happen. It's never right. going to happen. And so the last video I said, you know, and I have a podcast and um, if you want to learn more, you can go to my courses page on whatever. And all of these people started like commenting like, oh my God, I can't believe that you would, you know, promote blah, blah, blah. And I said, one, why should content creators have to work for free? I'm not getting paid to post on TikTok. (laughs) Like I've spent like my, this is like my life's work. Like why should I have to work for free? Trust me. I am literally going through the same thing. Yes. All of these young kids or millennials or whoever's using TikTok thinks that you're going to deal with your core belief systems in a 60 second TikTok video, you are sorely mistaken because it's so, so, so much work. Then my course is a year long course. I mean, I'm sure if somebody was dedicating six hours a week that they could do more, but no, like this is like a deep dive coaching process with like all of my greatest mentors. Like it's not going to happen in a 60 second TikTok. I know. And I, so I'm similarly combining everything that I've trained and studied in and, um, every skill set that I have into this movement program that I'm calling body language right now, because of course our first language that we learn is nonverbal communication. It's, and then, you know, whatever English, Spanish, whatever actual spoken language you learn, that's second um, for us. And so returning someone's body back to them by showing them how they naturally occupy space, how they can understand the way that they embody their story on a day-to-day basis, that kind of freedom, um, I think is crucial as we're, you know, not only in quarantine settings, but then when we go out, our movement becomes our activism. It becomes every kind of everything relates back to body language. The way we show up in the world. Like exactly. Us. Absolutely. So, 
So I've, I've been working on this, this series and I want to make everything accessible and affordable, but there are so many assumptions with my other projects and background of like, how could you ever charge for this? And I'm like, first, I really just want to put this out here for 20 years. I have given you free everything, access to me, my resources, my network, um, my struggles. <laughs> and now putting a price tag on it is saying this truly is bigger than I am. This is, this is a course. This is, I have a 39 page curriculum <laughs> and, and it, and I went in and got certifications. I have invested so much money into making content for people out of my own pocket because I truly care about this information being available at a mass level. But there is a point in time when I won't be able to sustain this journey without this being a two-way street, as well as just believing and trusting in the value that I am offering. Like these are hour-long sessions, and this is just the basic foundational course. Like wait till we get into, you know, body language, creativity, body language, you know, stress relief, body language, blah, 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 blah. And so I fully, fully understand that. And it's an interesting thing to navigate, but at a certain point, I have to accept that, you know, I have to follow my, uh, the piece, the price point where I, I still am maintaining my piece. And I feel like all of the parts involved here are working together with the right motivation. And, you know, right now it, it probably will mean that things will be, you know, free for a certain period or, you know, even cheaper than if we were in this like booming economy. But at the end of the day, like, I'm saying no to all of my paid work so that I can make this for you. So I like whatever movies you think I'm making millions of dollars on stopped a decade ago so that I could offer you something to empower yourself. (laughs) So I fully understand and sympathize and empathize. (laughs) There's so many different layers and we kind of got off track, but, and I want to dive into the podcast for a second before we're well over, you know, 45 minutes, but you know, there was two things. One, I had to really go. Cause when I started the course and I was like, Oh, I don't, I don't want to like sell a course and I don't <laughs> all these things. And then I had to look at my belief systems around money. Totally. Oh my God, am I deserving of $39 a month from people? Am I, um, is $39 too much? Am I greedy? If I'm asking people for money, am I totally. X, Y, and Z? And then I had to reframe it like, okay, no Alexis, there are billions of people on this planet. I would say the vast majority of them need your work Mm -hmm. and you're providing it to them in a way that is affordable and that is doable. And also I do believe that there's a component there of when somebody's paying you for something there's an energy exchange of like, I respect your work and thank you for what you're doing. And I'm going to take this work really seriously because I'm invested in this, not just emotionally, but financially as well. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes, I had to look at the money as just an energy exchange. Totally. I'm putting, you know, countless hours of energy and years and years of training and 
going to school to become a drug and alcohol counselor and a life coach and all these things, all of these things that I've invested in and being able to support the community through the podcast and all of these other ventures, Mm -hmm. but being able to not run out of my own energy and to not feel like, cause I can't fill from an empty cup. And so then I had to go and work through all of those belief systems around money and stuff. I think that's a very important inner conversation to have regularly, you know, to check your accountability, see if it lines up with your values and your, your motives. Um, and I've spoken to many people who have, you know, graduated to the level of CEO or they're, they're founders of this company now. And, and at those moments of crisis within the company, um, where they have to either pivot or, you know, make layoffs or whatever it is, usually they go back to what was our core motivation here? Was it people or was it profit? And for me, it's like very, very obvious that the thread, when I look even back to, to examine my own character, because sometimes I self, you know, I second guess my own motivation, right? And, and I'm a blend, like I'm definitely not some angel, like I have plenty of different mixed contradictory things happening inside my being, but the large dominant voice here is always, how can I empower people? How can I enact justice? How can I heal the planet? And I know that when I look even at my day-to-day life, like I'm in, I put some $3 plants on the side here, but I painted those (laughs) canvases for what, like $6 each. And then there's nothing else in this room. I'm very, I live a very simple life. And so, you know, it's very easy for me to say, okay, I'm clearly not charging just so I can go like fortify my, my own lavish, luxurious, exclusive, elitist and even, and even if that's what someone desires, that's totally fine. But it's like, Allison, I gotta, I gotta, it's definitely an interesting thing because I think it's all about the intention. Totally. It has such a huge part in it because the truth is I want to live a nice life. I, I totally want to be able to drive my Tesla. Yes. Yeah. You know, I want to be able to send my kids to college. I want to be able to eat an organic diet. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to have health insurance. I want to have all of these things, yeah. but I also had to think about it like this. If I'm becoming a wealthy woman and I had to look at all of my biases about wealth too, because there was so much in there that like the top one get us negative fuck them Mm -hmm. and they're fucking up the world and all this stuff. I go, no, but if more conscious beings like me are becoming wealthy, then I get to heal more. I get to donate more. I get to distribute more. I get to put money donate money to campaigns that I agree with to Miriam's house, which is like so near and dear to our hearts. It's a nonprofit sober living for young mothers who are trying to get sober. I get to go and do these amazing philanthropic uh, adventures. And it's like, oh, okay. So I had to look at it like that. Like, and especially when we give access to women specifically, this and empower them to heal. That's how this freaking planet is going <laughs> to heal. Yeah, hate to hate to oversimplify, but I don't disagree. <laughs> oh my god! I, and I always say I'm also a birth doula out of a passion, specifically for women who have, um, are sexual abuse survivors, because I said that healing the planet it starts with the mother. It's if she's not supported. 
in that experience, if she doesn't have the support she needs to deal with her childhood trauma to raise the next generation of conscious children, like we're fucked. <laughs> we're fucked. Yeah. Um, and we can go on and on and on on this forever. Yeah. Um, and this is really oversimplifying it. But I just want to encourage anybody out there who feels, especially creators or who people who are in regular jobs who just don't feel like this is for them anymore and they need to go and do things to heal the planet and to heal people, individuals, which is where it all starts. Like you don't have to do this work for free and you shouldn't be expected to do the work. Yeah. And an easy framework is the triple bottom line. Find something that's for people, for planet, and for profit. You don't have to cancel each other out. And there are really wonderful companies and individuals who have found a way to be um, nice to all of their employees, make sure they have livable wages, um, to ensure that they're not overcharging, to also, if there's excess coming in, they're able to then immediately redistribute that to organizations. Are insur- our, um, treatment centers listening <laughs> because we start at $15 an hour with healthcare. It is so possible. We kind of looked at my husband's Canadian. So to him, he, this all made sense. He was like, I don't understand like how you guys are operating down here. This just does not make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but he looked at the Costco method where like everybody is paid a livable freaking wage. They get overtime if they're working overtime. There are no salary, you know what I mean? No crap. Like everybody gets health insurance. You can do this in a way and still have a profit and feed your families. And there has to be a way that we can move into this space. Oh, yeah. this. I know that it's possible. And it and it requires each of us not only coming to terms with that possibility, but then stepping into our version of what that looks like in our own lives instead of just maintaining the beliefs you and I have listed of like, oh, those people over there with everything, with the excess, with the wealth, you know, they versus us, they are making it worse for everyone else. It's like, no, we are truly all capable. We, we actually have to step into our power in order for us to better understand how to make a safer planet for everyone. And stepping into my power happened when I was a twice convicted, newly twice convicted felon at 19 years old, going into rehab, filing for bankruptcy. So it's personal power. It's empowerment. That's where the power starts. And then you're able to, you know, grow financially and on all of these other areas, empower yourself. But you first have to deal with that really rock bottom, solid foundation in order to, find the balance and all the other stuff. So let's talk about simplexity because I think it's so cool in the description I was reading on, um, the podcast app. It said simplifying the complexities of life through stimulating provocative and a fun narrative journey with the world's most supremely intriguing refor- <laughs> I can't even say all this. It's such a tongue twister. Refreshingly forthright artists, scholars, scientists, entrepreneurs, experts, and humans. Hear insights, advice, and winning paradigms that guide you towards your best self and a brighter future, all while expanding your knowledge and the amazing happenings on our planet. Mm-hmm. Love that. That's like the mission statement for like 2020 for the world. I feel like that needs to be it. (laughs) 
I wholeheartedly concur. Um, yes. So I've been interviewing experts from across sectors, generations, continents for many months now. And um, what inspired the podcast is a trip I took to the Arctic with a hundred delegates um, from around the world who were coming together not to solve the world's biggest problems, but to reframe the world's biggest questions to see if that would spark new ideas and innovation. Like, what are we, we're so focused on the problem, maybe we're asking the wrong question. And so they put together, you know, the most brilliant minds. And by brilliant, it wasn't just IQ, it was EQ. And by brilliant, it also wasn't, I'm the most outwardly successful person with this many accolades. It was, you know, I, I actually have no voice or platform and I'm from a very, very small country, but here's how we do things there. And so it was super expertly um, curated and, and we're forever grateful for uh, Celia who put together. It's called Future Talks. And I wasn't personally invited. I actually had a friend who was a delegate and I, in my gut, in my heart of hearts was like, I, I believe that whatever is happening there is exactly tied to what I want to offer the world. And if I can find a way and things align, I want to be there. And so things within 24 hours, I had to get on a plane to go to Oslo to dock off, to meet them you know, on this ship in the Arctic. And it was a whirlwind, but I was taking in everything like a sponge because I was getting to see people who understand the mechanics of the world from systems and structures and institutions, um, like higher education and politics and government, all the way to um, li literally everything, to, to agriculture, to the arts. Uh, and, and so when I thought about creating my podcast, I had many, many missions, social impact. The guests who are, who come on my show tend to share this desire to make the planet better in very practical and deliberate ways, not just ideas. These are tried and true ways they've applied their research and expertise. And so as they're simplifying what they do for a living, like for example, we had a, you know, a NASA rocket scientist come on and explain, you know, thermodynamics to us. Well, he actually related it to a way that we can then take it to other industries. And he used what he, what he understood about solar waves to solve a traffic problem in another country because the, the math lined up that way, the patterns lined up that way. And so then he actually is teaching you about, you know, you're learning physics, you're learning thermodynamics, but then you're actually relating it to your own relationships, your own career path. And you're like, okay, wait, I didn't realize you could recontextualize all of this knowledge and apply it everywhere. Because when we think of schooling, our approach these days is just memorizing static facts and thinking it only works in that setting. And then of course, you know, you get out into the real world and you're trying to get hired and people are like, can't you see how this translates into this job? Can't you adapt? Can't you figure it out? And we're like, we don't know how to use what we know. And so our guests really help us access that. And at the end of each episode, we do affirmations where we immediately apply what we learned to help embed the key takeaways that we can use in our lives. So for me, it's really all about the exchange. It's about knowledge transfer. 
wisdom transfer. And then like we've been talking about empowerment because everything happens, you know, if it doesn't translate to action, then your ideas are just fantasies. And that's beautiful, but let's like realize this, this beauty in the world. And so it's, it's been a joy to, to interview people, but also have uh, guests who aren't always the famous leader from this, you know, show on television. It's very much like this Senegalese technologist is teaching 1 million women and girls how to code across the continent of Africa. Um, so that they can reposition Africa's role in the tech race and empower the women who are at a greater disadvantage in many of those settings. Like, you may not know Mariem by name, but by the end, you know that she's literally changing the world for millions of people. That's the heartbeat of, of Simplexity. And it's been amazing to grow the community and have people tune in and be like, you know, I didn't think that I would like talking about finances, but by the end, like I realized so many other things about myself um, and about the planet. So, you know, I'm, I'm all for curating it in a way that is, is the storytelling that I grew up um, using in the, in the arts of entertainment for, you know, for social impact. I love that. And I do affirmations at the, every single one of my episodes oh, just because I like um, that, that relate to the episode, just because I really like leaving people on a positive note and something that they can carry into their week that hopefully they find to be like inspiring or helpful, you know, especially in these really challenging times that we're in. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. This is an awesome interview and I'll put all of your information in the show notes, but where can everybody find you? Yeah, thank you. Um, you can follow me at Allison Stoner on every platform. Um, YouTube is the real Allison Stoner if you're typing in the channel name, but I, I promise if you type in the name, it, it should come up just fine. And yeah, I'm going to be releasing that course. If anyone's interested specifically in sort of reclaiming their body um, and understanding their own movement language, that'll be out as, as soon as I can. And it will absolutely be affordable. Um, we'll probably actually do different tiers. So you pay what you can and the proceeds will also go to relief efforts. This week's affirmation is I am valuable and will make a powerful change in this world. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, head over to the podcast app and make sure to subscribe to us, rate us and leave a review. We have new episodes every Monday and you can follow along with us on Instagram at Recovering From Reality or visit our website at recoveringfromreality.com. 